Broadcasting live from the Great Northern Hotel in beautiful Twin Peaks, Washington, I'm Matt. I'm Caroline, and this is an episode-by-episode breakdown and discussion of all three seasons of Twin Peaks. The Twin Peaks Community Theater Group will be performing The King and I at the Great Northern this coming weekend. Tickets are free, but donations are strongly encouraged. Today, we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 6, Demons. I really hate that I say um, all three seasons of Twin Peaks in my intro bit because it does uh, mean that we are committed to There's an expectation. Well, and we are committed to watching all of season two. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you bring this up after we come off of, I would say, a hiatus in recording thanks to uh, some finals you had to finish up. Fine. We will they make it. We're going to well, get there. But this. It We're won't. climbing those Twin Peaks. This episode is going to come out so far after we've stopped being on hiatus, though, because we're so far ahead of where we. I know, but I, I still feel like I had to mention it because we're going to. We're definitely going to forget some details from the previous episodes. <laughs> this is going to be somewhat without context, I think, this particular breakdown of discussion. Um, Whatever. Given we're... a two-month gap or something we're doing our best i think it's great uh this one's gonna be good season two episode six demons it's directed by leslie linka gladder who has directed before and directs more episodes after this and is written by harley payton or har Har harry payton as i have it here (laughs) and robert engels also who have worked and will work on more episodes so i know kind of an all-star cast minus the main people (laughs) well i feel like i i feel like i don't I'm going to give way more credit to these people, Leslie Linkerglatter and Harley Payton and after after this, because I feel like we talk about, I feel like, I'm sure they don't, but just because I notice when they write and direct an episode, I'm like, it feels like they have written and directed more episodes than the people who actually run this show. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they have, but maybe in total, in some they've worked on more um we get a resolution to a cliffhanger oh the bad two, mo- two months later now <laughs> for stop, us a long stop, cliffhanger stop talking about it stop, stop. okay um they we get an immediate resolution to this cliffhanger. uh harold who had scratched his face with what do you call that it's not a trowel but it's not a rake it's somewhere in between it's not a hoe it's not a hoe um, what are the tiny gardening rakes called? I'm going to say tiny gardening rake. Uh, after he scratched his face with the tiny gardening rake and made ketchup. It's a hand cultivator. Nice. Uh, well, after he cultivated his face with a hand cultivator, uh, we see that thankfully they've given him slightly more realistic injury prosthetics. So that cliffhanger was resolved. Would they make it look better? They did. Uh no, he's barely. brandishing. <laughs> yeah, barely. He's brandishing this hand cultivator at Donna and Maddie, who just stole the diary, and he's yelling about how they betrayed him, obviously. And he says James... at one point to Donna that she's unclean, which is a wild term to use. Yeah, especially since he like cultivates plants. I feel like he's very used to dirt. <laughs> but maybe because he doesn't go outside, maybe that's sort of like. Yeah, there's like weird. We'll get to it, but there's, like, a weird amount of, like, religious connotations in this episode. Like, Yeah. We'll get to it. <laughs> but, we? like, well, yes, but just the, I don't know, I'm unclean. It's just, like, a weird, yeah. weird word choice there. Uh, James bursts in to rescue the two of them. They don't manage to get Laura's diary, which is kind of funny but donna says that he's not gonna chase them outside once james gets them out of the house because he's a recluse and uh, donna has another mood swing and james is sappy and talks about how he wants to preserve his heart <laughs> and how it feels forever this actually happens a scene later but that's later I'm skipping what? ahead because whatever it's basically it's the same place donna has like is horny to the touch and has constant mood swings about James. This is where this all starts to go off the rails for me. 
and it's it it only gets worse in a scene with with maddie as it goes it's uh whatever it's fine uh cooper takes audrey to what i guess is the book house and she's still passed out from her heroin overdose and she's talking in her sleep sort of calling out for help and and making i guess sort of distressed uh she says daddy like four times and we just need to acknowledge how fucking weird it is because like (laughs) like uh it's so weird yeah well she wakes up and she's comforted to see coop so that's nice yeah uh yeah and it gets weirder but does it i think that was kind of the worst part of it but well we'll get to it as we like to say uh next truman Truman's in his office and he identifies jean renault in like a criminal scrapbook <laughs> to cooper and i guess and truman sort of gets to deduce that he planned to kill coop so it's nice to see nice to see him, him doing some law work some law work <laughs> <laughs> detective work detective work this time uh and it sort of puts coop into uh it's a little bit of a role reversal because coop then also feels bad for stepping out of his jurisdiction yeah which is something i'm glad they acknowledged because yeah. it was getting kind of ridiculous so he gets he, he feels some shame about this also they're in sweaters for this part which is good yeah i guess if you're into that kind of thing they just look like nice sweaters that's all okay uh Truman just sort of doesn't care that he's like, it's fine. You think too much. Which is like, no, 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 no. Wrong response. Wrong response. Didn't think enough, I think, was what happened here. <laughs> Cooper then goes over to return the money that Ben gave him for the ransom. And basically just floats all the info that he learned to see if he can get a rise out of Ben. And then it's very, very suspicious, but he doesn't seem to care all that much until... Cooper mentions that Audrey was drugged, at which point he seems somewhat contrite, and yeah. he wants to see her, but he's not allowed to. Yeah, which, uh, how is that allowed? How are they allowed to tell Ben that he can't see Audrey? That seems, whatever. It's a good thing Ben, think... it's a good thing Ben doesn't care. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think, I don't think they're, tech... I think if he had pressed it, they would have had to, but I think the idea was that, like, Ben knows that Cooper basically knows that he's a scumbag. (laughs) So he's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, there's no point in getting him further involved in investigating me, I guess. Yeah. Don't tick him off. Uh, Although I do feel like at this point, Cooper could probably just arrest him on, like, suspicion of some kind of racketeering. Yeah, I guess so. Especially because he's just handing him briefcases of money. I don't know. (laughs) Well, but, like, he has... He's very rich. He's quite rich. So, I mean... But he's not... I don't know. Like, I don't think it's... I think they, like... I'm sure they think that he's not, like... Nobody thinks that Ben Horn is a particularly ethical businessman, but I'm sure they're just like, eh, it's probably just tax evasion. (laughs) Okay. Well, fair. Um... They've got, like, more important concerns. <laughs> That's true. Okay. I don't know. It still feels like at this point... But then again, Cooper feels himself contrite about going over jurisdictions, so maybe they're all just trying to uh, right, I think, to let things cool off and pan out. Well, I think that's probably part of it, too, is, like, all of the, all of the suspicion that he would have about Ben Horn has to do with One-Eyed Jacks and that's... and Audrey... And that's outside of his jurisdiction. So, like, none, none of that would hold up. He he actually can't arrest Ben because all of the evidence mm. is from Canada. True. True. Okay. Thank you for bringing, yet again, your legal expertise to this uh, discussion. So Bobby wheels Leo uh, into the room of their old house, and Shelley is there with the insurance inspector, I guess you would say, for Leo's disability money. Mm-hmm. And he's extolling the virtues of home care. Shelly says that both she and Bobby are going to be there full time. And she signs on the dotted line to get the money. 
But as it turns out, because of fees and taxes and equipment costs for poor old Leo, what was supposed to be a $5,000 make it rain check, I think Bobby calls it, it is instead $700. And the insurance guy ducks out after, like, smiling evilly. See, it was, <laughs> this was much. I was like, I don't think you should. If you're an insurance inspector, it feels weird, even if you did kind of get one over on them. I don't know. I don't know what to Sorry, feel about this. Are you defending no, but I people in the private insurance industry? No. What? Bernie Sanders would be so disappointed in you. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I failed. I failed Bernie. Uh I don't know. I feel like you wouldn't want to be so outright smug <laughs> about having swindled people in the boonies. You'd think. Like, to their face. Like, maybe if you, you... had them a, a shot of him afterwards. Like, <laughs> got them as he got, climbed in his sweet Cadillac. But I don't know. Eh, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh but Shelly, everyone freaks out because Shelly quit her job to do this. Uh, I feel like she could just get her job back part-time. Yeah. And then Bobby could get a job part-time and it'd be fine. I didn't really get this one. I think, but like Bobby's still a student. He has to go to yeah, school like, and be on the football team. <laughs> do we ever see any of them in school after this? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They all so just immediately all drop out. It doesn't exist. <laughs> Well, because Bobby's going to be there full time, so obviously he's not in school. They've all just dropped out. So we, I, I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> in a, a school as small as Twin Peaks, do you think with all of this going on, especially because more stuff happens, they wouldn't just be like, okay, this year's a wash, whatever, everyone go home. It's like a six o'clock curfew. <laughs> what happens next? Um. Oh yeah, Donna's in the at the police station talking to Truman saying that um they need to investigate Harold and find the diary Truman is I think justifiably annoyed <laughs> that, Oh yeah, he uses the uh the girl who cried wolf kind of. Yeah. Um with yeah, with Donna and James's investigations Donna says James has nothing to do with this. And then... It's kind of true. Yeah. It's fair enough. Um, but yeah, and then... And then the scene gets kind of cut off because Gordon Cole shows up. The man himself. I don't want to keep... Lynch, who... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, you don't want to keep summarizing? I don't, so you can take it. Okay. Um, well, Truman says he's going to put it on the back burner in terms of getting Harold, so... Yeah. He does acknowledge it, but he's just like, eh... I'll, I'll look into it when I can. But yeah, Gordon Cole strolls by shouting for Truman, and it is David Lynch. You pointed out that it's kind of strange that the show starts to dip and really, and not just dip, but like it becomes more detached from what I think was their core involvement in it uh, right when he shows up as a character. And he stays a character for most of it, so that's kind of weird. But it is David Lynch himself, and he's got hearing issues so he's got in a kind of a pair of hearing aid things mm-hmm. uh, 90s hearing aids i guess yeah uh, he's looking for cooper since cooper was downed in the field he got injured uh, but cooper's not there so he tells truman that albert found fibers from a vicuna coat uh, in the hallway outside of where cooper was shot what is a vicuna and- coat I didn't look it up. I was going to ask you. So now we're both, uh, we got no answers. I'll look it up. Here we go. In the meantime, though, he also mentions that uh, Albert sent a report oh, saying that. It's what? like a little antelope. Or it's like a little llama. A vicuna. It's fabric made from. It's like, it's, it's a relative of the llama, the wild ancestor of alpacas. Oh, okay. Oh, they can be shorn for wool. It's not like a fur coat. Okay. That's okay. Funny. I was so worried. It's so cute. It's like... Yeah, it's pretty cute. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It's like a, a skinny alpaca. It is a fabric made from the hairs gathered from a rare animal that lives only in the high Andes and refuses to be farmed commercially. 
The Vicuna's ridiculously soft and lightweight wool makes cashmere feel like a hair shirt. That's what, that's what Refinery29... Oh, I was hoping that would be Wikipedia before I started reading it. I guess <laughs> the extreme hyperbole should have cued me in that it was not. Uh, so... Well, Wikipedia also says that it is very nice wool. <laughs> oh, there's a little picture of a baby one on the Wikipedia page. It's so cute. I'm posting these on our Twitter. They're adorable. Ficunas? Yeah. Okay. Are there... Hang on. Was there like an accent mark somewhere in that? It should be Vicunia. Actually, because Vicunia? there's a that's what I thought. There's a tilde okay. over the end. That's what I thought. Vicunia. Yeah. Well, all the subtitles are in all caps, so it's hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think they have any kind of accent marks. They are of least concern for their conservation status, so that's good. That's good. Okay. Well, that's Vicunia's people. Look them up. They're cute. They're they're real good. Um, but yeah, so it's like a rare, rare wool, which I guess people would have would other people would know. <sighs> sure. Uh, Albert also said that the drug that Gerard uses uh, is a combo that he's never seen before, and just as he says that, Hawk hauls Gerard in. I don't know where Hawk got Gerard. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I have no idea. Last, last I remember, he was missing from his motel. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. It's Hawk. He just... Hawk always gets his man. Yeah. Sometimes by flinging a knife into their back and straight up murdering a person. <laughs> I just... Outside of his jurisdiction In as well. In Canada. What happens when people find the remains of that brothel? <laughs> I mean, I get... Like... I don't know. I guess it's not a it's not abandoned after this, is it? I don't remember. All right. But I just I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to let it go that Hawk just straight up murders a dude. <laughs> oh. It's a jumping over the shark moment. Ben shows up to take Audrey home, and I didn't take any notes cuz he just sort of hovers over her and is creepy and Audrey it's mirrors Previously, when he was hovering over her at one eye, right? Yeah, that's that's. So Audrey knows that's the parallel, and that's the parallel. It's creepy and gross, and she sort of alludes to him that she knows that he's the owner of one eye Jacks, and then she he says he's going to take her home, and then she asks, she says that she'd prefer for Coop to drive her home. And then they all, Ben suggests that they all ride in the car together. I assume because he doesn't want Audrey to tell Coop that he owns One-Eyed Jacks. Yeah, but it's kind of short-term thinking because she could just tell him any other time. Yeah. But that's okay. Whatever. I was going to say, I... I forgot to mention this in the, the earlier scene, um when Cooper was returning the, the ransom money. Um, but I, I, I do, I was trying to figure this out as I was watching it. Cause I do always really like the um, scenes where Coop is interacting with Ben Horn. And I was trying to figure out why, um, like why I always find those scenes so sort of satisfying to watch. And I think it's because it's, it's one of the few times that it, when Outside of, like, I guess sort of extenuating circumstances that's just, like, in normal conversation. Because um, we get a little bit of this when he's when Coop is undercover at One-Eyed Jacks. But, but even that is sort of, like, strategic and calculating. And I think the, the interactions, the conversations with Ben Horn are, like, one of the few times in the show that Coop is just really cold. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just think that's sort of a, it's a nice contrast, um, to his normal demeanor. Um, and so I just, I don't know. I like those scenes for that reason. I think it's, it, it adds depth to his character. That's all. 
Yeah, and it and it feels like the one time that Ben is sparring with someone that's kind of an unknown to him. Yeah. He knows he knows what Josie and Catherine and and Leo are gonna kind of entail, but Coop is a wild card to him as well. So he's kind of put on a different foot. Yeah, yeah, they're both a little put on a different foot, put on his back foot. Yeah, I don't know. The shoe is on the other foot, whatever. Um, Some. But no, I mean, I think that, like, they're... Obviously, like, Coop is the central character of the show. But I think, like, Ben Horn is one of the... One of the best, like, supporting characters in the show. And so it's just, like... In, in terms of, like, being... Like, the one of the most enjoyable to watch. And so I just think that having that... They're both very dynamic and having them, like, in this situation where they're both kind of out of their normal context is always really interesting to see. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Nadine gets home from unlimited shopping using the credit cards. and Which, like, is going to that... be a problem for them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I don't know if it was, Ed like. Was okay with this. I, I, Feels like. I guess. I don't know. She doesn't have, like, she just has a couple of bags. Like, it's probably just, like, a normal amount of shopping. That's true. But it would still be a problem even if she was, if her parents were real, (laughs) they would still notice the charges. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. Whatever. 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 Who cares about this? (laughs) Because she just pounces on Ed, and Ed's scared because she's super strong now, so I guess painful sense uh, uh, I hate this subplot yeah it really it, I don't why doesn't she notice that Ed's old like <laughs> I don't know like that the world has completely changed around her and that like everyone's it does, it's so <sighs> why is he entertaining this i hate this uh, it's so bad yeah. i was thinking well, only... i was th- i was thinking it only gets worse. i know well like the like the thing about this is and the thing about this episode is that there's just like the actual there are two actual plots in this episode and should i save this for the end yeah okay I'll save it for the end. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I'll cu- we'll cut that's that okay. out. <laughs> or we won't. It's just it's a it's a teaser for the end. You got to stick with us, and then you get to. This is going to be such a short episode. No, it's not. We're through the first page, almost through the first page of notes, and we've only been recording for twenty six minutes. Yep. That, so it's going to be like an hour long episode, the normal length. No, it's going to be like an hour of recording, but when we cut it down in edits, anyway. Less work for me. Uh, Jonathan, or Mr. Lee, as he's called later, uh, apparently after raping Josie, gives her a one-way ticket to Hong Kong to join up with Mr. Eckerd. Yeah. Is that his name? Okay. Uh... We haven't seen him, right? No. We don't know anything about this plot. It's so weird. It's like, and it's, like, this is the one subplot where I feel like they could have actually done something with this. Like, it wouldn't have been super relevant to the rest of the show or the murder at all. But it would have been at least, like, sort of a... This could have been, like, a mildly interesting, like, sort of soapy subplot. But then they just, like, don't do anything with it and then, like, pick it up and it's just... Anyway. Well, Josie doesn't want to go because she's worked hard to get her money after this whole scam that she's pulled with Ben. But he threatens to kill Truman if she doesn't leave with him that night. Which, to use a wrestling term... Really drew, like, ultimate heel heat, nuclear heat, maybe even go-away heat uh, with these two moves here. So, way to build a mid-carder, mid-card threat here. Uh, 
fuck this guy. Yeah. James, you're right about about the their opportunity to build an interesting subplot here, but it it really goes nowhere. Because I think Josie is an interesting character because she's so many of the characters in Twin Peaks are either just like sort of all like scheming sleazy scumbags who are like all on level footing with each other or victims of the sleazy skeezy nope (laughs) whatever (laughs) they're or they're sleazy sleazy scheming easy dreasy yeah like or they're 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 victims of that like or or sort of um collateral damage of that but josie is in an interesting position where she's sort of she is both in on all of these like she is also scheming but she's also like has you know whatever this mr lee and mr eckard and whatever like she has whatever sort of external pressure she's under from them and and it's a sort of like she's not entirely like she she's sort of negotiating agency within that and it that like that just could have been interesting um and and i think you know she's she's more chaotic neutral yeah and she's more of a sympathetic character um you know just because of the way she's or she's framed as more of a sympathetic character like you're supposed to hate ben and Catherine, um and leo and hank like but you're not like we're not the show doesn't signal that we're supposed to hate Josie like we're initially supposed to like her. Um, yeah. And so I I just think like they could have done literally anything with that that would have been like if they just followed through with it it would have been better. And it gives more depth to the whole mill storyline and how that plays out and what the implications of that were. And you can still have that that kind of chess game between the different powerful factions of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Uh, then it's not just like, oh, Ben Horn basically made a bunch of money. Like, that's not the upshot of it. Yeah, and then, and then it's also like it adds – it's it makes her character not just – like, Josie is not just a victim of Catherine and Ben Horn's scheming. Um, mm. Like it just it complicates her character in in a way that could have been really interesting. So yeah, this has always been the one subplot that I've always been kind of frustrated that they didn't follow through with more successfully. So everything else, I'm just sort of like, this is bad. We shouldn't have even started on it. Yeah. Spe- speaking of making characters more interesting, this next scene, uh, James arrives to sit on a dock with Maddie, uh, looking over the lake. And he says he felt something when he looked at her, and she kind of completes his thought, saying that he saw Laura in her, and reveals that she liked it. Uh, does this is this an interesting deepening of his character? How do we feel about this? And James and James afterwards talking more about how he uh, he sort of wants to preserve how he feels in that moment forever, because I guess otherwise he's going to be polygamous. <laughs> Is sort of <laughs> what he's getting at. I yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about ever. <laughs> Which is like actually kind of I don't know. I like I it does feel sort of like a like seventeen year old kid who's just like saying shit that he thinks is profound, but it just isn't <laughs> at all, and it doesn't mean anything, and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> And I okay. don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> so I don't I don't think this is the case. And I don't think... Not what you said. Uh, and I don't think this is a particularly good scene. But here's my big brain galaxy theory. Or big galaxy brain theory. I don't know how... Freaking memes. I'm so bad at them. I also uh, don't think it's a good scene, to be clear. Okay. I... That was a, that was a mockery of, of that. I wasn't like... No, I know. In season three. Yes. When... The one time we see James, I think, uh-huh. he's still in his leather jacket and he's up on stage playing the the same song that he played back when he was singing with Donna and Maddie. So, like, do you think that this whole thing of preserving how he feels in this moment 
forever actually did end up happening and he's just sort of trapped in this like 17 year old cool biker jacket and guitar persona because he could never move on from the trauma caused by like all these murders around him yes okay boom I suppose. how's that for breakdown and discussion of all three seasons of twin peaks that is you did you did it that's yeah. you did the thing <laughs> that's it that's our podcast folks <laughs> um maddie specifically says that she and i don't know if she's said it before quite like this that she and laura used to be able to hear each other's thoughts have they alluded to as such a powerful psychic connection before i have no idea i don't remember that happening okay well she's leaving tomorrow is what she ends up telling james she gives him a little kiss on the cheek just to confuse the poor boy even more (laughs) Yep. And then yeah. <laughs> that's that. That's I yeah. I thought it was, I did a little bit like I a little bit liked her saying that she liked people seeing her as Laura. I think like it wasn't okay. it wasn't great, but I, I I think they've sort of set up given all of the like Laura Maddie like that's that seems to have sort of been the point of Maddie's character was that she was sort of a, like, function for the other characters as sort of like a, I don't know, like she was... A stand-in Laura. A stand-in Laura. Laura. Yes, thank you. Therapy Laura. Yes. (laughs) Excuse me, sir, that's my emotional support doppelganger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so, like, I, I think it was, I a little bit liked getting her, like, take on that and, and finding out that she actually sort of enjoyed that, but, eh, the okay. scene as a whole, eh. Cool, okay. Uh, Josie and Ben cheers with, I guess, some wine, and Josie abruptly says that she wants her money then and there. Uh, before he gets the deed to the land. That is the deed she's holding up, right? She just says this, so I assume it must be. Yeah, she said she had Pete's signature, so it must have been either the deed or something authorizing the sale of the the property. Uh, He says it's going to take some time. The Icelanders are going to send the money in portions, I think. And when she presses, he kind of deduces that she's under duress of some kind but he tries to threaten her by saying he has a lockbox with a dossier that could bury her and she turns it back on him with also a lockbox with a dossier that could apparently put him in jail for three lifetimes so he gives her a check for five million the cashier's check that mr tajimura gave him previously and she takes off yeah. I'm surprised they've managed to keep this all so consistent. I'm pretty bad at following it, but for the most part it seems that the shenanigans with the mill are kind of well curated in terms of how the little pieces are moving about. Yeah, and I think that's like what makes it that's part of why it's so frustrating that Josie's character just ends up not like mattering for the rest of the show because yeah like this this is such she was previously in such a well structured and like tightly written subplot with the mill scheme Mm -hmm. and then they just sort of forget what they're doing yeah i would love to see if someone has made it or would make it kind of like an infographic that traces how the mill scheme works over the course of the episodes. Yeah. But that's kind of complex. I don't know. Maybe I could do that. I could set aside some time to try and make that happen. Rewatch the show again, but specifically just the mill stuff. I was going to say, it would be Uh, interesting to have like, to, and I feel like somebody must have done this just given what fans of this show are like. 
um, like, cut together the scenes, like, the subplot scenes, like, in, like, you know what I mean? Kind of compiled them. So, like, you have, like, all the mill scenes in order and can just, like, watch that oh. as an hour and a half YouTube video. Hmm. Like, that would be, I would be interested in that because I think that would be, and I feel like maybe they should have done that just, like, or or thought about it that way because some of the subplots then would obviously not be able to function as a narrative. <laughs> well, what do you think about watching an hour and a half long YouTube video of the Bobby Shelley and uh, now sort of comatose Leo uh, storyline? Uh, do you want to watch an hour and a half of that? I do not. But that's okay, what well, I'm what saying. Happens? I'm saying install- like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying is that if somebody had like cut together an hour and a half of that, they'd be like, oh, nobody wants this. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen some of the stuff that uh, David Lynch has put to film? <laughs> this is true. He doesn't care what we want. <laughs> yeah. It's so the installment. I saw Dune the other day. And yeah, oof. Isn't that true? Uh, oh, there's, I can do it my little, I can sneak in my movie review. It's a David Lynch movie. I hadn't seen Dune before. I was waiting to read the book. And then I glanced at the book and thought, no, I'm not going to read this. And I watched the movie. And it. I expected it to be way crazier. It wasn't very good, unfortunately. I'm going to say two and a half stars average, but eh, I'm I'm way more excited for the Denny Villeneuve Dune that's coming up with Timothy Chalamet or however you pronounce his French French sounding name. Is that is that a thing? Is that happening? Oh yeah, yeah. Huh. Which yeah, sounds cool. I mean, yeah, the problem is it's just there's some cool things in the Dune movie, and I don't think it's necessarily his fault. I, I'm i going to go out on a limb here and say something controversial. Having glanced through the book, I don't think the book is very good. I think it's probably very interesting and has a lot of very cool concepts and is revolutionary somewhat for the time. Oh, there's a lot of inner monologue. Anyway, that's Dune. Uh in this I, segment of yeah i have <laughs> neither seen seen the movie nor read the book isn't Kyle McLaughlin also in it oh yeah yeah okay. main character it's the only person so so is sir patrick stewart so is sting <laughs> from the police what a weird movie <laughs> yeah uh, although in the original before david lynch made it it was going to be yodorovsky and they made the whole Yodorovsky's Dune movie about his failed attempt to make the Dune movie. But it was going to have like Orson Welles and Salvador Dali was going to be the emperor of the universe. <laughs> so that I would have wanted to see that one. Sorry, David. But that actually sounds way better. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I don't I don't know any really anything about Dune, but it's like it's like space adventure, right? It's like like yeah. sci-fi. It's sci-fi. I would just say it's sci-fi. Yeah. And like But I, it's kind of It's just like from what I and I've I've seen some like stills from it and stuff and it just doesn't seem like I feel like David Lynch just shouldn't have directed that one. That's just <laughs> not a thing that they should have given to David Lynch. From what I could tell. But again, I know nothing I know nothing about this film, so I have no idea what I'm saying. I'm just just out here spouting baseless opinions. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're all doing, though. That's most of this podcast, anyway. <laughs> I think it's fine. No one will notice in the, yeah, tree for a forest, whatever. <laughs> in this installation of the Bobby Shelley Leo party, or sub <laughs> subplot, I'm getting caught up in my notes because it's just so horrible. Uh, they throw what I can only describe as a drunk cuck leo on the kitchen table for his uh escape from the law party (laughs) it's like (sighs) is this your kink excuse me (laughs) would you consider this to be one of your kinks one of my kinks yeah no yeah me neither you were saying 
Oh, no. Yeah, this is just this whole. Well, I've, you've thrown me off my rhythm. I know. <laughs> I can't recover from that. Carry on. Well, in the middle of their, uh, not really in the middle, at the very beginning of them attempting to get it on in front of him, he looks like he moves a little bit and it scares them into apologizing to him and they pull out a cake that they got him, which seems ridiculous, right? Why would you? <laughs> if the... Especially if you're living on $700 a month. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you don't need a cake to get across the whole like drunk cucking party. <laughs> Uh, they have streamers Please stop and stop calling it that. Stop calling it that. I think that's the episode title, Drunk Cock Party. Well, so my, I said this when we were watching it, but this was my, uh, my pitch for the episode title was um, when, Bo- when in the scene, uh, when, as Bobby's like apologizing to Leo, he says something like, something about like, the environment that the doctors said they're supposed to like have for Leo. And then he goes, so we figured what the hell kazoos. And I, that is the only good part of this scene is Bobby's delivery of what the hell kazoos. Um, because that's just like such a Bobby thing to say. Um, and I feel like we kind of like Bobby is remains a good character, but he just like, we get away from sort of that him being like a central character and being that sort of like charming asshole getting getting any of those kinds of scenes so i just i really like i really like that line that's the only redeeming part of this scene hashtag bob squad uh (laughs) he falls face first into the cake they got him and i think this is this is kind of an interesting little scene because they get to laugh and they wipe the some of the frosting off of him and it's kind of like well they don't get to enact their sort of revenge for him being abusive by fucking in front of him, but because they are themselves sort of taking advantage of him for this insurance money, but they do get a little bit of comeuppance in that he face plants in a cake. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm reading a little too much meaning into these things. No, I think like whatever. That's fair. I think if they just like. Honestly, I think if this, if, I mean, Leo should have been killed off, but, like, if they were going to leave him in the show, like, if they just had this scene and then not done done anything else, it would have been, like, eh, all right. <laughs> you know, fair enough. He falls into a cake. Whatever. Maybe, maybe Eric Daré got real cocaine as a prop on the behest of David Lynch, but then it got... You know, just used up in the course of production, and then he was actually in a lot of debt. So he was supposed to be killed off, but he's like, David, I need a job on this show. Please, God, I'll just sit there and do nothing at all. I'll be literally comatose, but I need to be on the screen to pay back all this cocaine. Sure, I support it. Cooper arrives at the police station to find that Cole has familiarized himself with the team there. Cole tells Cooper that it reminds him of a small Mexican chihuahua. Uh, I love that. And Got pulls him aside into Truman's office. I mean, he's not wrong. It... If you look at him, I think Cooper's face very much resembles a small Mexican chihuahua. It does not, but carry on. I just love Gordon Cole. He's so great. Yeah. As I said, his hearing has, his hearing isn't so much bad as it is just gifted with an impeccable sense of like trollish comedic timing. (laughs) (laughs) So he pulls Coop aside to tell him that he's worried about him, but Cooper says he's fine. That's basically the upshot of this scene. Yeah. Uh, It's really long though. I watch it twice to be like, am I missing something important? Nope, he's just a roundabout way of saying, nah, I'm good, bro. Uh, and Truman pops in as Cole also says, he kind of buried the lead here, that Wyndham Earl sent Cooper an opening chess move in an envelope. And I don't remember what the chess move is, unfortunately. Yeah, no idea. Knight, no, I'm going to say knight to e4. That might be correct, actually. I don't know. 
Who knows? Ben brings in Leland, since Jerry is over in Tokyo investigating the potential deal with Mr. Tajimura. And so, because of this, needs to know how to stall the project so that if this all checks out, they can get him in before the Icelanders, I guess, have full control over it. I'm not exactly sure legally how this works, but Leland seems to know because it gives him a whole lot of options like resurveying the land because of the fire and getting inspectors out there. Yeah, and then running money through the... He says something, running about running money through the Caymans and then picking up money in the exchange rate. Um, I like that. Yeah, Leland goes full Wolf of Wall Street. I, which I like. I really like this scene because I, I think that, like, I really like that this show, I really like that this reminds us that, like, Leland is not a good guy. Like, he's Ben Horn's attorney. He's, like, getting him out of, like, he's helping him. I don't know. It's it's not, like, none of it's technically, I guess, like, like, it's sketchy. It's not, like, outright, like, evil. But, like, that, that I think, I guess that's kind of the point, is, like, that that's the kind, like, Leland is Ben Horn's attorney, and, like, this is the kind of stuff that he does. And so, mm-hmm. I, and Ben even says something, like, about about Leland being back to normal, or, like, you know... I think he says, like, that's my Leland or something weird. But it's, like, like th- this is who Leland is as a per- and And I think that's, like, I like when the show shows that side of Leland and not just the, like, grieving crazy side. Um, yeah, and also- because that's the first side we see and, like, the only side we see for a while. Yeah, and so, like, you think, like, oh, this poor guy. But then it's, like, I mean, it shows that he's, like, not really a great person. Um and I think that that's that I think is important to the sort of larger thematically to the show. Like that is that is it is important to know that about Leland's character. I think. Yeah, I guess he's not brought in in an official capacity here because of his indictment. Yeah. For murdering a man. Right, which is also like a like I mean that's that's like a very like Ben Horn thing to do is to be like eh, I can't officially have you as my attorney, but. <laughs> Please help me scam this money from yeah. people, and I'll I, I I'm gonna say a little bit more about that, like more explicitly when we get into the spoiler section. Okay. So. Uh, Jonathan, Mister Lee, is carrying Josie's bags out when Truman suddenly arrives, but Josie said that she sold the mill and is leaving. They kiss, and Truman proclaims his love for her, but she heads out anyway. So heartbreaking here poor truman for yeah poor poor sheriff because it's been building he's been more and more suspicious more and more stuff's been going on and then this like gives him some emotional investment and he's not just like cooper see this is a good subplot why did it go so wrong i don't know i don't know and i'm like trying to like trying to pinpoint the it'll be interesting to sort of see where it goes completely off the rails because it really like it's it hasn't yet. Yeah. It's kind of the one consistent thing. So then there's a scene with Mr. Tajimura. And <laughs> That's... I just can't. It just, yeah, I don't know. I don't even remember. Oh, basically, okay. <laughs> I'm going to try it, actually. I'm going to do this straight-faced. <sighs> it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Okay, we'll get more into this scene in spoilers, but... There's a scene with Mr. Tajimura discussing with Ben about sort of how the progress on the Ghostwood Estates deal is going. Mr. Tajimura is bothered because Ben has the five had the five million dollar cashier's check, and he has nothing. And Ben is sort of now having to stall both sides, I guess the Icelanders as well as Mr. Tajimura, in terms of why he can't get this going immediately. There's local concerns about stuff. And Leland thankfully intercedes in this scene. Ugh. I, I never thought I'd be thankful to see Leland do his singing, but he starts singing Getting to Know You uh, to the Great Northern Lounge. And then Ben tries to stop him and has to end up, like, end up having to sing with him. It's a mess. <laughs> he doesn't really sing, though. I, what I like about this is that he just sort of lip syncs. He says, like, 
a couple of the lyrics randomly, but he's mostly just smiling and cringing over and over again. Uh, Pete attempts unsuccessfully to talk musicals with Mr. Tajimura before offering to buy him a sake and then a cold milk, which is a very Pete move. It is. It is. And I really expected Mr. Tajimura to take take him up on the offer of the milk. I thought that would have been a good swerve. <laughs> so yeah, that's that. <laughs> that's that. We'll talk later. So to close out the episode, we are back in the one of the interrogation rooms. Actually, I think it's just the conference room. Yeah. And they hold Mr. Gerard's medicine back from him as his seizures get worse. And sort of at their peak, it seems he comes to with a different persona. And that is of Mike, who Cooper questions. Mike says he is a wandering spirit who inhabits Mr. Gerard's body from time to time. He was partners with Bob, who he sees in the Wanted poster, and describes Bob as being like a parasite who requires a human host and who feeds off of fear and pleasure. Mike recites the Fire Walk With Me poem in unison with Cooper, who I guess recognizes it from the dream, Mm -hmm. and says after he took off the arm, he could only inhabit Gerard time to time and was purified when he saw the face of God, and now he works to stop Bob. And when asked where Bob was, he does kind of a riddle me this Batman, saying that he's in a place with a lot of rooms and a lot of people, and he's been there for 40 years. Or he's been in, among the Twin Peaksians. <laughs> the what now? The residents, the residents of Twin Peaks. He says he's been there, among the residents of Twin Peaks for almost 40 years, and is currently, uh, you guessed it, in the Great Northern Hotel. Cut to a night shot of the Great Northern above the waterfall, and then decredits. Well, so what I liked about that was that I I forgot that that was what that was, that he was talking about, that they, when he said that, they said it was the Great Northern, because when he said something, the, the sort of riddle he says is like, a room, or a, a place with many rooms, and all of them are the same, but have different inhabitants or something like yeah. that. And so I I kind of thought, like, at first I thought, like, I was... Generic-ass description. Well, but, so, the for a second, for a hot second in, in trying to puzzle this out, I thought one-eyed jacks, but then I just sort of dismissed that. Um, but but the, the thing that I first thought before, and that I sort of landed on before they said the great northern was that a place with many rooms that are all the same i thought like oh he's talking about the black lodge Mm. so okay i don't yeah me too kind of yeah so i don't like i don't think it's a super big like i don't think it like super means anything but it is interesting that like that that is a description that could be also applied to the black lodge Maybe the denizens of the Black Lodge just like places that are lodge-like. It is the Great Northern, I mean, hotel, the Great Northern Lodge. I mean, you know. Yeah, no. They just all feel like they need to travel together, but they need separate rooms because they don't get along that well. They're like bandmates. <laughs> but no, I mean, I I just, I just, th- I thought that was a, a nice little detail. That's all. We are going to dip into spoilers. Yes. Really quick. So we will put a spoiler tag as to... Uh, what times those are down in the description if you want to skip over that but some things need to be addressed (sighs) here we go three two one plug your ears and then unplug them if you're listening about spoilers are we going to talk more about the Catherine stuff or are we just going to cut in what we had before or do you i think we're do you want to rehash it no i'm not going to cut in what we had i'm going to rehash it okay just i can't handle the the Catherine tajimura stuff it's so bad it's really bad. It's just, it's so, I know it's supposed to be absurd and weird and out there, but it really, really ages badly. And it's just racist. It's so, it's just so racist. racist. Like, the thing is, is that it, it, it's not like it wouldn't have been racist at the time. It just would have been like funny racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how it would yeah. have read. And that's like that's still not good. That's not not racist, guys. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's because it's like, oh man, it's it's so explicitly played as a joke. Yeah. And just like the absurdity is is played up, but it's like it feels mean spirited. And there's pl- there's plenty of old movies and TV shows that have some awkward things when it comes to race that haven't aged well that aren't necessarily super malicious well, that I can still kind of enjoy but like this is uh, well uh, and also this one just leaves me feeling like this is icky well and I think too it's sort of compounded by the fact that like they're so like the other Asian characters in the show are Josie and Mr. Lee or Jonathan or whatever and they are also not again Josie is a much more sympathetic character she's not painted as like evil but she is very like she's scheming and she's also like in very um sexualized in a lot of her scenes and so like that's not great and then like all so then like it's like there's no that's like that would be a little bit iffy but then with the Catherine Tajimura stuff on top of it, it's really just like this part of the show is about how Asian businessmen are scheming and evil. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oof. That's not good. You shouldn't have done that one. It's very bad. So, yeah. Was there uh was there something else you wanted to talk about in spoilers? Oh, I wanted to talk about Leland. Yes, go ahead. Um, which was just that the, and it's just sort of a, a closing uh, thought on what I was saying before. But the, so I think that like the reason that I like that we get these moments where Leland is shown to like not just not be a great person um, is because I think it just adds to the element of the show that I've talked about before. So I won't like drag on too much. Is that like the show? The show works if like as is but it also can be read as all of the if you interpret all of the like supernatural black lodge stuff as like real but the show also still works if you interpret all of that as like a metaphor and not actually happening um and -hmm. i think that this is part of why it works because like the story is like if you take out all of the black lodge stuff like this the the sort of plot arc of leland of like this crazy disturbed person who is sexually abusing his daughter like that obviously is a real thing that can happen and so i think that that having having these moments outside of where he you see him possessed by bob that show leland as like not a good person just make make the story work on both of those levels so that's that's why i like those scenes um that's all i don't want to like i said i've mentioned it before so i won't go on about it but no i agree i think because yeah you only see leland as the grieving and then sometimes sort of manic insane father and you know that he's ben's attorney but since the only times he's acting as ben's attorney early on or when ben are, is like basically barring him being his attorney you're not exactly sure if he's an honest one who's sort of stuck working for a dishonest man or if yeah if most of the time ben or leland is also scheming and conniving so yeah I agree. I think it's a, and and it brings in some doubt of like, what does the white hair have to do with it too? Has he undergone more of a change than we think, or is that just sort of an underlying characteristic coming to the forefront and manifesting itself? Yeah. Uh, I think that's all after spoilers. Yeah. Are you good? Yeah. So, oh, okay. the other thing I was gonna say was that, so this was, well, no, this isn't spoilers. This is just wrap up. So we're good. Okay, so we'll just, uh, here we go, cutting back in. I want to get to, but this won't matter. Now, <laughs> now. Okay, so yeah, we're out of spoilers. So, thoughts overall, wrap up. I think it's very serviceable. It's fine. Like, none of the, I, I've groaned a lot about the subplots in this episode, and that's for two reasons. One is because some of them, are just setting up things that I know. Like, this episode was fine. Um, They just set up. We've talked about this before, how, like, the subplots are especially sort of uh, offensive to us because we know how bad they get. But if you don't know that, then this episode, I think, is fine. The 
thing I was going to say earlier is that, like, the problem with this episode is that, like, and I think this is sort of the problem of a lot of parts of season two, is that there's really, like... Two plots, is that what you're going to say? Yeah, two plots. Um, if you if you stayed around listening, here you go, here's the payoff. Yeah, maybe two and a half. Um, okay. There's, there's a little Ooh. bit of wrap-up of Audrey, right, of, like, there's those scenes with her at the beginning of, like, okay, just sort of wrapping up that storyline of her getting kidnapped and held at one-eyed Jack's. So that's maybe half a plot that's relevant. But the really, there's only two things that matter, which is kind of the ongoing stuff with Josie and Ben in the mill. And then, um, and which like, minus the Tajimura stuff. Um, and then the one-armed man, right? And so like, yeah. the the Josie stuff is is at least sort of consistently sprinkled throughout the episode. But the one-armed man is like, in like four total minutes of the show. And it's the only part of it that actually matters to the to the larger murder plot and so (laughs) like that i think is kind of the problem is that as season two goes on i wouldn't be surprised if we see sort of the same things with like i think like like five six and seven kind of have this problem where they have like between the end of season one and eight or nine where the the Laura Palmer plot kind of wraps up is they they have like only a couple sort of like bombshell moments of like like the scene with Mike at the end but they have to like those are like end of episode moments and they have to get there and so they have to do something mm-hmm. for 47 minutes <laughs> and it's it's just very like I, I think that is that is sort of the problem is that the Laura Palmer murder plot doesn't have that much material left to it, and yeah. so they just have to fill up the other forty five minutes of the episode with something in order in order to not wrap up the Laura Palmer murder plot in episode one of season two because they probably have you know an hour and a half maybe of Laura Palmer stuff left between episode one and nine of season two. Yeah, I didn't want to complain that nothing happens and that things are slowly paced because i do like slow burn shows but i had the exact same thought too of like it feels like it's all built towards the bot the the bombshell moment of mike and we're just sort of getting a cookie at the end of like yeah you watched all the development here's the here's the bit that you really care about yeah which i feel stretched which i think like is you know probably indicative of of what had happened and I mean, I don't know, like, obviously, I wasn't watching this show when it originally came out. But I feel like that may that may maybe is indicative of sort of what happened with the show where, like, the first season was sort of designed to have these like, big reveals and big moments and people kind of got hooked on that. And then they had to sort of like, it was like, oh, this is doing well, we need to make more and we need to keep people watching and so we need to have these cliffhangers we can't just like stay on one plot for a whole episode because we have to have a cliffhanger at the end and so we can't spend yeah. the whole episode on mike because then we don't have a cliffhanger at the end well i've read that i mean the idea was that they would never really reveal the murderer and that it was actually david lynch and mark frost's intention that the show would just sort of become that it would just spin out into the different subplots of the residents of the town, which I think has potential, sort of. I don't know. It sort of doesn't make sense to me, though, because it's like the interesting thing is the murder and how it relates to everyone else. But I guess this was, they sort of wanted to have their cake and eat it, too, which is why, well, you'll see as the show goes on. Yeah, which I think, like, would have been... Like, if, I mean, obviously, there was Twin Peaks that was made now, but, like, if if the original Twin Peaks was made now, like, if if it had never happened and, like, David Lynch and Mark Frost sat down now to, like, make this show from scratch, it wouldn't have been in this format, I don't think. Like, it would have been, like, no. those, eight epi- those eight episodes from season one maybe would have each been, like, a full hour instead of the 50 minutes, and it would have been, like, a miniseries, and it would have just been done. And like, yeah. so I, I think there's, there's a little bit of format constraint, I guess, as well, that's happening here. 
in that like once they got into a second season i still don't know why the second season is so much longer than the first that doesn't make any sense to me but like i think you know once they got into a second season then they had to fill up these 45 minute episodes with something or these 50 yeah, minute I mean, episodes with something probably just network demand yeah we want you know this is really popular yeah i just wanted to i wanted to clarify that i do think that the sort of subplot thing was something that was part of the original intention of the show, but I just don't think it was executed on properly, especially because the core premise is so much more interesting. Yeah. And, and because of the format constraints, it also, yeah, it makes it harder to sort of balance all of that anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to, you know, this is, we don't give ratings here really. No, but this was fine. I like it's seven out of 10 basic yeah it was it was acceptable it wasn't it, like nothing about it was super bad there were some cringy moments but like whatever yeah yeah oh shout out to harold screaming as he like <laughs> intensely like missed his orchids yeah <laughs> best moment of the show oh god yeah so next time we have episode uh Seven. Seven of season two, Lonely Souls. This one is directed by David Lynch and written by Mark Frost. So okay. should be should be an interesting discussion. So tune in next time. Yeah. Um, check out our Twitter at Northern Live Pod if you want to see what a Vicuña looks like. I'll post the pictures. Vicuña. Vicuña. They're very cute. Yeah, they're, they're real good. So... Yeah, we'll post post those pictures. And don't forget to go see The King and I this weekend uh, down at the Great Northern. It's going to be a great show. A lot of people I know worked really hard on it. Twin Peaks Community Theater Group. Uh, you can check out their website uh, or get tickets at the door. Until next time. Bye.